Welcome to SciSection. Today's interview is with Dr. Terry Sunderland from UBC. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Firstly, could you briefly introduce yourself and what you do? Hi, um, so my name is Terry Sunderland. I'm British, as you can probably tell. Uh, I've been at UBC for almost three years now. Previously, I was based in Indonesia for 12 years and previous to that in West Africa for 15 or so years. I've been involved in the practice of forestry uh, in the field for a very long time. Um, I work on tropical forestry uh, based between agriculture and forestry and the impacts that has on uh, global food security, social impacts of conservation and protected areas on local people. Many people don't know about the Green Revolution. Could you explain what it was and how it changed agriculture? So the Green Revolution occurred or started really in the 1950s as a response to basically provide uh, more food uh, and thinking of food in terms of calories alone um, to a growing population, particularly in the developing world. A lot of research and resources went into um, providing plant breeding for uh, higher yielding cereals in particular, the, the main staples, wheat, barley, uh, rice in particular, uh, all went through major breeding programs. So we were able to increase yields over a, a large area. What that resulted in essentially was the removal or, or shifting away from um, Sweden agriculture, which occurred in a lot of forest areas to more permanent agriculture and the expansion of monoculture agriculture, whereby a lot of smallholder farmers who grew, who grew a diversity of crops um, were replacing those crops with a single crop would be it rice or wheat or whatever it may be. And the Green Revolution had the desired effect. It in improved the amount of food we grow, but it had a major impact on the diversity of food. It reduced the diversity of food that we, we grew, and we're seeing the impacts of that today. The link between agriculture and infectious diseases is not really obvious. Could you explain how these are connected? Well, one of the, the biggest problems with commercial agriculture today is that it requires yet more land and the expansion of, of agriculture occurs in forested landscapes in particular, notably in the tropics. So if you think of the images that we are familiar with in Brazil or, or Indonesia, in Brazil we see the expansion of cattle and soybean plantations um, and in Indonesia oil palm. And shifting into that forest frontier increases our contact with zoonotic diseases and we've seen that in in many respects with the latest pandemic um, but it's also been responsible for the spread of ebola um, and, and other zoonotic diseases and, and the closer you get to that forest frontier the more risk there is of a spillover occurring between a zo zoonotic disease that may be uh, resident in a forest host for example whether it be a bat or a pangolin whatever it may be and the risk of that crossing over to humans um, with the expansion of agriculture has been uh, problematic because it's been seen as uh, the, the major uh, transmission route, if you like. The biggest problem, I think, also is the simplification of those landscapes removes any natural predator that, that zoonotic disease may have had. Um, and so that it's easier to, for that transmission to occur and easier for zoonotic uh, incidents to spread. And the current pandemic is also putting pressure on forests like a vicious cycle. Why is this? Well, one thing we're seeing, if you think of the images that we were seeing in the news from India in April and May, the economic downturn that's happened globally has had a huge impact on, on employment. Um, I have a field site in, in West Kalimantan in Indonesia, and it's seen a massive influx of reverse migration, people moving back from urban areas uh, to their uh, rural homes. 
because of lack of employment. The set's having a huge impact on the environment there because the, what are they going to do? They're going to be extracting resources, be it timber or other resources or mining, um, but also farming. And that's going to have a huge impact on the on the land use patterns. It's also having a big impact on the demography of the regions because we're seeing a lot of young people coming back from urban areas. And a lot of the rural areas are still primarily uh, populated by all, the older generation. And we're seeing some interesting kind of demographic conflicts occurring, uh, particularly, in, as I say, in our field site in, in Indonesia. And this is being mirrored uh, in India, in, in other areas of Southern Africa. And across the world, we're seeing this, this reverse migration from, from urban to rural, which is going to have a huge impact on, on land management and resource management. So what kind of agricultural system would be sustainable and not put us at risk of viruses crossing over from wild animals to humans? Well, I think the first thing is, is that there's, there's no sort of black and white answer to this. I mean, obviously, we need commercial agriculture to an extent. But the problem is our agricultural systems and our food systems have come at the expense of more diversified smallholder cropping systems. And it's estimated that between 40 to 80% of the world's food is grown by farmers who maybe have only one to two hectares of land. They grow a wide diversity of crops. They're more resilient to economic and environmental challenges. And yet these farmers get little or no support from national or governments and, and certainly none from the sort of global agricultural process. If you think of the subsidies that are paid to farmers in North America and into Europe, Smallholder farmers in the tropics get nothing like uh, the same level of support, not even in extension. So I think what we need to do is, is, is think about a, a matrix uh, of agricultural systems from the smallholder to the large commercial production systems. Do you have any tips for our listeners on how to make a positive change in their consumption habits? Well, I mean, the, the obvious one is obviously reducing meat consumption. Uh, meat production is, has the greatest ecological impact on the globe at the moment. And... Um, Reducing meat consumption, as we're seeing, consumer changes and, and a growing middle class in many many parts of the world. The meat consumption is increasing dramatically. Um, Plant-based diets, far more ecologically sound uh, and also, also nutritionally sound. And also, um, we've forgotten what seasonality is like. Uh, when I was a kid, you could only get strawberries in the summer. Now you can get strawberries all year round, um, wherever you are, uh, whether they're grown in Mexico or in Kenya or whatever. So the global commodity market needs to, needs to reflect of a natural cycle. Um, of seasonality rather than being geared up to provide goods and products all year round uh, that the consumer clearly is willing to pay a premium for as well. So it really is consumer-led that, that needs to happen. One of the biggest uh, problems in Southeast Asia, the expansion of oil palm, the shift in our diets to more processed foods has resulted in that expansion because oil palm, or palm oil rather, is in, in pretty much everything that's, that's highly processed. Um, and if we weren't actually buying into that, that dietary system, we wouldn't need that expansion and we, we would be able to uh, mitigate the, the, some of the deforestation that's happened with the oil palm expansion. In countries such as Norway, the, the consumer has had a very powerful role to play in reducing oil palm production and import um, by identifying the products that contain palm oil and, and have boycotted them, basically, and they've reduced their oil palm uh, import by about 50 to 60 percent. So the consumer has a very important and very powerful role to play. And finally, what is the most memorable thing you experienced during your career so far? <laughs> that's, a, that's a really tough one. My goodness, I didn't see that one coming. Um, I think one of the things that has had the most um, satisfaction is that for many years we were, we were talking about the importance of forests for food security and nutrition. And a lot of people were scratching their heads thinking that we were absolutely mad thinking about this possible link. And it was only because having spent so long in the field and seeing people rely on not just forest foods, but the ecosystem services that forests provide for agriculture, 
that this was obvious to us, but it wasn't obvious to the world at large. And now we've produced a, a, such a broad body of evidence to show that this is the case, that the dialogue's starting to shift, that people are talking about forests in, in the context of food security and, and future nutrition uh, programs. And so that's been very sat satisfying in, in, in leading that body of work um, in my previous uh, position in Indonesia. Um, was very, very, yeah, fulfilling and satisfying. Fantastic. And we've got a great bunch of people working on this as well. So that brings us to the end of the interview. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. That brings us to the end of this interview. To our listeners, make sure to check out our podcast for the latest interviews.